0: And uh, we'll turn to read the scriptures, if we may, a um, couple of sections of scripture that we'll look at. The first one is found in Jeremiah chapter 10, so if you, would, uh, if you have your scriptures and would like to follow that uh, with me, you're very, very welcome at, to do so. So you've got Isaiah and Jeremiah, the major prophets there, and then we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 10, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 10. <coughs> Oops. So we'll read from verse 1, if we may, in uh, Jeremiah. Now, uh, those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, you know that we began to look at uh, this section of Jeremiah. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of an overview just to uh, refresh our memories as to where we had come from. I don't know if about about you, but sometimes these major prophets are, are the books of the Bible that we tend to skip over because uh, sometimes they can be rather confusing. It's not always easy to actually understand what is being spoken of. But I pray that this evening, as we look at this verse particularly, and that as we begin to understand uh, what is uh, the, the, the context of Jeremiah chapter 10, that will enable us to hear and to see God speaking to us clearly. Um, as, uh, as we look at this. So we come to chapter 10, verse 1, and we read here the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. <clears throat> Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed by them. For the customs of the people are futile, for one cuts trees from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. And they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not hear you, O King of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all the kingdoms, there is none like you. But they're altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It's brought from Tarshish and gold, from Uzfa, the work of craftsmen and the hands of the metalsmiths. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And then, as I say, if we can turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians 8. Okay, I have a feeling that I've got the wrong... No, this will do. We'll start at verse 7, if we may. I'm sorry, I uh, should have made this a bit clearer. However, there is not one in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled but food does not commend us to god for neither if we eat are we the better nor if we do not eat are we the worse so we're just going to sing uh, two little songs together now if Pete will lead us and then we will look at uh, the word together so we'll stand and sing. The first one is I love you, Lord, and we'll go straight into spirit of the living God fall afresh on me. so as I uh, hinted in the prayer time that we had together, when it comes to speaking the truth, our world has got a massive problem. Uh, We see this in the political sense. uh, We see this in society generally. Our young people are not brought up to understand uh, that the truth is important in the way perhaps uh, that just a few years ago we were able to indeed understand that. And we knew the trouble that there was um, in our uh, family. Uh, I think I've made mention of this before, but uh, I would. <laughs> I haven't had this put to the test. But uh, in England, if you go joyriding as a youngster, it means that you take someone's car without asking them and you go for a ride down the street. And I've often said that I can cope with one of my kids going joyriding more than I could them lying to me. And I think that. Uh, That might seem a bit extreme to some people, but the truth is absolutely paramount. We've got to know what the truth is. And of course, as believers, we understand what the truth is. The truth is God Himself. So whatever it is that we want to ask ourselves and say, is this true, then we're able to turn to His Word. We're able to look at the character of God and determine from that understanding of His character that this is the truth or not. And very clearly, we begin to see uh, everything falling into place. But we do live in a world now where uh, postmodernism declares that whatever you choose to be the truth, uh, for you it's true. Now, it might not be for your neighbor. It may not be for the other kids in the class or the university lecture hall or wherever it is. But that doesn't matter as long as you are happy that you have understood what you're version of the truth is now can you imagine if we were to take that forward into the rest of the world you know everything would begin to fall apart and in fact it is falling apart because we see that no longer does society have that standard that once upon a time it used to have and of course when it comes to the legal system there is now a problem because what is the truth you know is it okay for this person to have this attitude to be able to do this sort of thing and uh, and so on and we need to look at that so a few weeks ago you'll remember that we began to look at Jeremiah chapter 10 the key theme of Jeremiah's prophecy if you have not had time to read it and I'm sure there are many of us here who have not read it from cover to cover uh, during the course of last year we were able to and the year before we read through the Bible in a year in in uh, in our home and we've been able to, uh, to read Jeremiah and yes it is fair to say there are some sections that are pretty heavy going But the theme of Jeremiah, of Jeremiah's prophecy is simply this, repent, repent and return to the Lord or he will bring judgment. That's the theme that we have. Now again, immediately you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't sound like the sort of book in the Bible that I want to read. Well, it absolutely is the book of the Bible that you want to read. The whole of the Scriptures, in fact. And it's the same theme that we see running right the way through the Scriptures. And Jeremiah is simply doing what uh, he has been instructed by the Holy Spirit to have to do. Now, it is fair to say that Jeremiah uh, uh, was... uh, uh, If you read the end of Jeremiah's prophecy, you realize that the prophets are in trouble. Now, I wonder how many pastors, if we were brought into the ministry and told that you know there's a pretty good chance that you're going to be slain because of what you're doing would we continue to do that well the truth is there are pastors who face situations like that places in the Middle East for example where it is absolutely illegal to proselytize to be able to preach the gospel and to see people change their faith perhaps from Islam uh, to come to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and that causes massive problems. So we recognize that Jeremiah is very real. There is a very real sense in which the prophecy itself enables us to see the world in which we're living is not actually that dissimilar. Perhaps the key verse of Jeremiah is chapter 3, verse 22, and it uses the word, and I made mention of this before, the word backsliding. Now you're thinking to yourself, <sighs> done a bit of that recently. You know, my faith is not as real as I know it should be. My determination to walk with God is not all that it should be. And so backsliding is a word that, again, Jeremiah uses, and and it's one that we can relate to because we see it, we feel it, we recognize it in our lives, and maybe there's somebody that you've been praying for because they've run into trouble. Life is tough for them, and you know what the problem is. It's that they have grown apart from God they've in a sense allowed this to happen the world's pull has been so strong on them that they have decided perhaps subconsciously to take that road that course that path that journey which of course has meant that there is separation from God and this morning if you were able to be here we looked at that word obey it's a word again that we're not very keen on it's a word that uh, children don't really like when it comes to obeying parents and it's a word that we don't really like either that very often, but we discover that as we immerse ourselves in the love of God, then obeying God becomes something which is, in fact, a joy and we recognize that God wants the very, very best for us. So we discover that uh, the verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. So again, immediately as we come to look at Jeremiah chapter 10, we discover that there is great hope, there's great joy, there's great encouragement for us, and it doesn't matter what position you've left 2023 in, you can sort this out as God gives you the power and the ability to do so. And as you have that desire to, to recognize that sin is sin. I don't know, I was talking to someone earlier. Oh yeah, it was about television sets. Somebody's got the idea that the bigger the TV, the more sinful you are. Have you ever heard such rubbish in all your life? The idea that a computer is different to a television set. Well, I have to say to you that having a TV set is not more sinful than having a laptop. And so we recognize that the idea that we have of sin can be very, very strange. And right in chapter 1, Jeremiah talks about other gods and idols, verse 16, chapter 2, verse uh, 5, chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. And then he talks about repenting here in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And then as you work through Jeremiah's prophecy, you come to chapter 10. And last time we made the point that Jeremiah chapter 10, regardless of what you may have been told, is nothing to do with Christmas trees. Okay, just get that clearly fixed in our minds. At least nothing directly to do with Christmas trees. But there are those who talk about going into the forest, nipping into the forest, cutting a tree down, putting some gold things on and silver things on, and sticking it in the corner of the room as being a warning here in God's Word. Well, that would be a very immature way of looking at this particular section of Scripture. No, Jeremiah chapter 10 is talking about false gods. And it's also, because we've read that verse 10, it's talking about knowing the true and living God. It's knowing the everlasting king. And so beginning now to see the contrast between idols and the living God. And of course, God through the Holy Spirit would have this verse placed right in the middle of this section talking about idolatry and idolatry is a terrible thing the very first commandment says i am the lord your god you shall have no other gods but me so that's the first commandment that's the important commandment all of them are important but that one is there for a reason because it's where it begins you see our christian lives will end up in abject failure if we get the first commandment wrong Because if we suddenly allow other gods to come into our lives, what does that do? Well, it takes our attention away from God himself, who said, I am the truth. From the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. The the, the imperative is that we understand the priority that we have and that God wants for us. But why is idolatry so detested by God? Well, I believe the answer to that question is really rather simple. We've touched on it already. It's because anything that takes our attention away from God is wrong. And yet we so often allow (coughs) these things to come into our lives and to blind us from seeing God in His goodness, in His graciousness. And seeing all that he has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We rely on our own strength when there is an idol involved. Why does that happen? Well, very simply because as the scriptures have said and as Jeremiah explained, does the tree that you've cut down in the forest and carved with an axe and nailed some gold and silver on it, does it have any power? Can it do anything for you? Well, the scriptures tell us very clearly that it can't speak. It can't hear you. It can't walk. You have to put it there. You've got to nail it to the floor. In your strength, does it exist? And does it only exist? It cannot talk. It cannot walk. It can do nothing except keep us away from our relationship with God, the relationship that we are supposed to have with the true and living God. Now, before Abraham trusted the true and living God, he'd been a worshiper of idols. The scriptures tell us that in Joshua 24 and verse 2. He came from an area of uh, the Middle East known as Samaria. And the Samarians are a, a race which, uh, or a culture, a society, that we actually know a lot about. Why do we know a lot about them? Very simply, they were good at writing things down, cuneiform and all these other scripts that they had. Have you ever wondered why we have... Uh, Okay, I've got to be careful here. Some of you are European in background. Right, if you come from Britain or from Canada or from America, why do we count in 12s? Well, the 12 system started with the Sumerians. So they started by counting one, two, three. So each of the little sections on your finger made three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, when you put your thumb up. And then, of course, you had 60 at the end. And there are 60 minutes in an hour and so on. So they were a very clever nation But they have one massive problem, and that is that they didn't have any concern for the true and living God. They worshipped the moon. They sacrificed children. And they did it by burying them alive. And that's the background that Abraham came from. During their years in Egypt, the Jews were exposed to gross idolatry of that land, and some of it stayed in their hearts. They took it with them. And when we go out into the world, and when we get too close to the world, and when we get too close to the fire, what happens? You get burnt. Some of the world rubs off on you. And we discover that we've got to be very careful about how we live our lives, the places we go, the things we do, because it will affect us. It always does. And you know what? It's not as hard to say no as some of us think. For our young people, it's not as hard to say, I don't want to be in a situation like that where the language is as it is, where the alcohol is as it is, where the sex is as it is. You can say no. And God gives us the strength to be able to do this. But do we believe that he can do that? So in verses 1 to 16, Jeremiah is looking around and he ridicules idols and their worship. Instead of separating themselves from the evil practices of the nations, as Moses had instructed there in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 to 11, Israel gradually imitated the practices of the people around it. And we've got to be careful to do that. Music is an interesting thing. Now, I don't want to get into trouble on this one, but I remember a book came out uh, many years ago entitled Pop Goes the Gospel. And the guy that wrote the book in England got into massive trouble over this because what he was saying was, when you listen to the music of the world, it is diametrically opposed to everything that the gospel stands for. If you listen to the words and you suddenly find our kids, even in our home, some of the words that we hear, they've gone into our hearts and into our lives, but they are diametrically opposed to the gospel. And they begin to bring uh, ideas and influences into our lives because gradually we can begin to imitate these practices. And slowly, in that sense, the people of Israel began to worship pagan gods. But these gods were useless. They were manufactured by men, by craftsmen. They were like scarecrows in a melon patch. They couldn't achieve anything. They could not speak they had to be carried everywhere now there's some interesting verses if you'll uh, if you've got your bibles and would like to turn with me to psalm 115 that's psalm 115 <clears throat> we'll read from verse 3 if we may through to verse 8 now verse 8 is a fascinating verse because, again, it gives us a warning. It warns us that we can become like them. So as we read these, just bear that in mind when we get to verse 8. But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands, They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet, they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And then verse 8, those who make them are like them so is everyone who trusts in them you see when we begin to allow idolatry into our lives and we're going to talk about what idolatry is in just a moment But as we begin to do that, we see the comparisons in the scriptures that we have before us. Because the idol has a mouth, but it cannot speak, and we discover that we cannot speak the words of grace to God. They have eyes, but they cannot see, and we discover that we cannot see the things of God because we've become blinded by the idols that we have allowed to come into our lives. They have ears, but they cannot hear. And as God is speaking to us, even as we are reading his word this evening, maybe you hear nothing. Noses they have, but they do not smell. And we struggle with the sweet fragrance of the gospel. They have hands, but they do not handle. And again, we discover that we're of no use with our hands. Feet, they have, but they do not walk because those who make them are like them. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And the everlasting King. And so that verse is inserted right in the middle of this chapter of of, uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. And as you hear me read these words, or as you read them yourself, you need to hear very clearly that God is indeed the truth, the living God, and the everlasting God. Now, truthfully, you can relate to idols of wood or stone or some pleasure that you may live for in a much more personal way than a god you cannot see. When you think about it, that's what's going on. People want to have something tangible, they want to have something that they can see, something that they can touch. And all the time they have failed to understand that those are the qualities that God has for us if we look in the right places, if we call out to him for our salvation, if we allow him to work in our lives, if we allow his Holy Spirit to work within us. Remember the name of A.W. Tozer reminds us, and he says this, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. In other words, it means worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. And of course, we see that very clearly shown for us in Romans chapter 1, particularly verse 25. The idols spoken of by Jeremiah were senseless. And according to Jeremiah 10 and verse 8, so were the people that we see there. Just turn to that verse, verse 8. but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. So we begin to see the beautiful scripture that we have before us. Um, The New King James Version, I would say, is rather generous towards the people in its translation. Listen to the New Living Translation on the very same verse. It says, people who worship idols are stupid and foolish. That's it. And of course, we know that what we serve in our lives is what we worship, and what we worship is what we become like. Our contemporary idols are the same. Contemporary idols may not be uh, perhaps ugly like some of the carved images we have seen, perhaps on TV or in magazines or newspapers. Perhaps some of the pagan idols that we see from around the world even today. But they capture just as much affection and do just as much damage. You see, whatever we serve, whatever we are enslaved to, other than the true and living God spoken of in verse 10 becomes an idol. And that idol is determined to take our attention away from God, from the true and living God. It can range from all sorts of things and we touched on this last time. It can be the house that we've treasured and wanted to build for a long time, bigger and better than the guy down the road. It can be the, 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 the new car, the new truck that we've always wanted, perhaps bought with credit that we haven't got The latest gadget that controls and monopolizes our lives. The girlfriend or the boyfriend that we dream about. Or sadly for many married people, the woman or man that we lust after. Because these are things that distract us from our determination to worship the true and living God. That which you center our attention and affection on, and for which I'm willing to sacrifice much, becomes my God. And if it isn't Jesus Christ, then it's an idol. John, in his first epistle, talks about loving God all the way through. It's a wonderful letter. He talks about the real Christian life, he talks about what it is to be a real believer. And not once during all of the chapters does he talk about idolatry until he gets to the very last uh, verse of, uh, of the last chapter. And he says this, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So what is the remedy for idolatry? Well, verse 10 really explains the remedy to the problem that probably many of us have had or faced at some point in our lives and perhaps even as you're here this evening, it's something you're facing now. The remedy is to get so caught up with the majesty and the grandeur of God, with the true God, with the true living God, with the everlasting King, that everything else just peels away, pales away into insignificancy. And suddenly you discover yourself that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you think about is not what, is going to happen during the day but the fact that God has sustained you through the night and that he's there with you when you wake up and as you enter the day you know that he is with you because you have immersed yourself in him in his love in his goodness in his mercy and we find that we're standing in the presence of God the God who is spoken of and described here in Jeremiah 10 and in many other places in the Scriptures. I think it's important that we remember that an idol is always a substitute. So often we substitute things in our lives when we're struggling with perhaps our relationship, even with our Christian relationship with God. But once you've experienced the true and living God, everything pales into insignificancy. Jeremiah looks ahead and he laments about the judgment that is coming, verses 17 to 22. We've not read them this evening, but you can read them at home. Because, you see, Jeremiah saw that the Babylonians were going to come in and take the nation into captivity. He saw the distress that it was going to cause. And so he urges the people to pack their bags and to get ready to move because they would be hurled out of the land like stones from a sling. Jeremiah laments and is saddened of the ruined homes and families, the separation of parents and children, the scattering of God's precious flock. And it's all because of idols. It's all because the true and living God no longer meant to the people what he should have. Yes, Jeremiah points the blame for the drift to idol worship at the door of the shepherds or as the King James Version puts it uncomfortably close to home. For me, pastors, verse 21. What's wrong? The pastors and the shepherds did not seek the Lord but instead led the people astray. And friends, this is still happening in church after church In Canada today and in the world today. The pastors of many churches today do not seek the Lord as they should. And here's another group of pastors the pastors or fathers in the families in our homes. Are you seeking God's grace in your life as you lead your family? as you bring sanctification to your wife, or have you left it all to your wife to do? So many Christian families do not seek, fathers do not seek the Lord as they should. And then they look at their children and they wonder, what in the world's gone wrong? How did we end up like this? And if you'd read Jeremiah, you'd have known. So in our fellowship. We must stand, and indeed as we're standing on the threshold of this new year, always to seek the Lord first and foremost as a church and as a family and, of course, as individuals. So remember verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the true living God. And he is the everlasting king. That's the truth. And that's the truth that all of us want in our lives and in our hearts and in our families and in our churches today. We don't put anything else before that relationship. When uh, my wife and I talk to uh, couples that are getting married, we often explain... And sometimes it can be a bit of a surprise to them. The number one relationship that is important is not between you and your fiancé, husband, or wife-to-be, but it is between you and God. And if that relationship is strong, then you will discover by default that your relationship with your husband or your wife will be strong. Because it's inevitable. That's just how it works. And so the first relationship that we have to work on is our relationship with God. It is to ensure that we have understood who is the true and living God, the everlasting King, and to give Him the rightful place of authority within our lives. We need to immerse ourselves in God Himself to understand this and then you'll never want to substitute again but remember just as the nation of israel slid into idolatry just gently slowly they didn't mean it in many cases but it happened don't allow it to happen to you walk hand in hand with god and see his blessing in your life